Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Position Drilling Corporation 2021 fourth quarter and end of year results conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are on a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press the start and the one key on your touchdown telephone. Please be advised that today's conference may be recorded. If you recall operator assistance, please press star and zero. I would now like to end the conference over to your speaker host today, Zachary Ford, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer for Position. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Olivia, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Precision Drilling's fourth quarter and year-end 2021 earnings conference call and webcast. Participating today on the call with me is Kevin Nevue, President and Chief Executive Officer. Through our news release earlier today, Precision reported its fourth quarter and year-end 2021 results. Please note that these financial figures are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise indicated. Some of our comments today will refer to non-IFRS financial measures such as adjusted EBITDA and field level results. Our comments will also include forward-looking statements regarding Precision's future results and prospects which are subject to, to certain risk and uncertainties. Please see our news release and other regulatory filings for more information on financial measures, forward-looking statements, and these risk factors. Kevin will begin today's call by providing an overview of current market dynamics. I will follow with the discussion of results and our financial position. Kevin will then provide an overview and outlook for our various businesses. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Kevin. Thank you, Gary, and good afternoon. While the global recovery remains uneven and some lingering, with some lingering uncertainties, the fundamentals for precision may be the best I've witnessed in four decades. Global oil demand has almost fully recovered but with sharply reduced activity and virtually zero exploration drilling over the last two years. The resulting oil and gas prices are strong, and the markets are firmly acknowledging the rapidly tightening oil and gas supply-demand equation. The inventories of drilled, uncompleted wells, or ducts as they are called, have dwindled. Super-spec rig supply is tight, tighter than most people understand, and customer demand will shortly absorb the remaining spare capacity. Labor inflation is here and real, but service price inflation is also here, and it is real. As I've said in prior calls, we are marching our day rates back to, into positive earnings territory and then driving rates further to achieve a reasonable return on our invested capital. Precision and super triple rigs are the most efficient, safe, and environmentally responsible rigs that the industry has ever operated. The technologies we are deploying under our Evergreen banner have the capability to measure, track, and eliminate GHG emissions at the drilling rig, and we can do this with cost-effective proven solutions. The uneven nature of the economic recovery and the risk of further economic interruptions continue to cause some uncertainty, but this uncertainty is mitigated by the laser-like focus on financial discipline by the capital markets. Precision's customers who are generating record levels of cash flow have responded to those investor expectations with highly disciplined capital allocation strategies. Balance sheets are largely repaired, and the producers are returning capital to shareholders with dividends, special dividends, and share buybacks, further cementing the capital discipline mantra. The boom-like rapid recovery scenario we've seen in prior cycles, where rig demand correlates with the commodity price and then overshoots, is simply not possible today. 
Capital disciplines well entrenched throughout the industry, throughout the industry, and this is driving a longer, slower, and extended recovery cycle with shareholder returns remaining prioritized. Combining the measured recovery with the industry's determined focus on emissions and corporate responsibility defines a healthy, strong future for precision and for our customers. And with that, I'll now turn the call back to Kerry Ford for our financial results. Thank you, Kevin. In early January, we released our capital allocation framework through 2025, where we expect to pay down $400 million in debt over the next four years, eclipsing $1 billion in debt reduction since 2018, and reaching a net debt to EBITDA leverage level of below 1.5 times. Importantly, we also announced a prioritization of return of capital directly to shareholders, allocating 10 to 20% of free cash flow before debt reduction toward this goal. We recognize the substantial operating leverage inherent in precision drilling and the business's ability to grow market uh, in a growing market to generate adequate cash flow to fund growth, reduce debt, and return capital to shareholders. Moving on to our fourth quarter results. Our fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA of $64 million increased 16% from the fourth quarter of 2020, supported by higher North American activity. Also included in adjusted EBITDA during the quarter is share-based compensation expense of $6 million, inventory write-downs of $3 million, and non-recurring labor impacts of $3 million. Absent these items, adjusted EBITDA would have been $76 million for the quarter. In the U.S., Drilling activity for precision averaged 45 rigs in Q4, an increase of four rigs from Q3. Daily operating margins in the quarter, absent impacts of turnkey and idle but contracted payments, were $5,648 U.S. dollars, an increase of 410 U.S. dollars from Q3. The increase was impaired by 620 U.S. dollars per day of charges related to non-recurring margin impacts. Absent impacts of turnkey and labor, daily operating margins would have been $1,030 U.S. dollars higher than Q3. For Q1, we expect margins absent of IBC and turnkey to increase approximately $500 per day from Q4 levels. In Canada, drilling activity for precision averaged 52 rigs, an increase of 24 rigs or 87% from Q4 2020. Daily operating margins in the quarter Asset queues and shortfall payments were $7,990, an increase of $1,095 from Q4 2020. Q4 margins, net of queues and shortfall payments, increased $2,701 sequentially from Q3 2021. For Q1, we expect margins, absent of queues and shortfall payments, to increase between $1,500 and $2,000 per day compared to Q1 2021 and up approximately $500 per day sequentially. Internationally, drilling activity for precision in the quarter averaged six rigs and average day rates were $52,069 U.S. dollars, down approximately 6% from the prior year due to active rig mix. In our CMP segment, adjusted EBITDA this quarter was $6.3 million, up over 18% compared to the prior year quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was positively impacted by a 21% increase in well servicing hours, reflecting higher industry activity in the quarter. We expect results will further strengthen in Q1 due to increased industry activity and additional work supported by the Canadian government's $1.7 billion well site abandonment and rehabilitation program. Of note is the team's success in capturing pricing increases to cover both increased wages 
and the removal of the Q's program support in an effort to drive higher margins. Capital expenditures for the quarter were $28 million and $76 million for the year. Our capital expenditures were in line with expectations and higher than 2020 as a result of increased 2021 activity and expectations for continued rig activations in 2022. Our 2022 capital plan is $98 million is comprised of $56 million for sustaining an infrastructure and $42 million for upgrading and expansion, which relates to anticipated investments supporting alpha technologies and contracted customer upgrades. As of February 9th, we had an average of 39 contracts in hand for the first quarter and an average of 31 contracts for the full year 2022. Moving to the balance sheet, we continue to reduce both absolute and net debt levels primarily through free cash flow generation and succeeded in reducing debt by $115 million in 2021. As of December 31st, our long-term debt position net of cash was approximately $1.1 billion and our total liquidity position was approximately $530 million, excluding letters of credit. Our net debt to trailing 12-month EBITDA ratio is approximately 5.5 times and average cost of debt is 6.4%. We remain in compliance with all our credit facility covenants in the fourth quarter with EBITDA to interest coverage ratio 2.8 times. With continued debt reduction and activity expectations, we believe we will end 2022 with a substantially lower net debt to EBITDA ratio, moving precision much closer to our goal of below 1.5 times leverage. For 2022, we expect to continue generating free cash flow through operations and do not expect incremental benefit from working capital release as activity is increasing in both U.S. and Canada. For 2022, we expect to generate strong free cash flow for the year with Q1 cash flow impacted by front-end loaded CapEx, working capital build, our semi-annual interest payment, and year-end payments. Our year-end target for debt reduction in 2022 is at least $75 million. For 2022, we expect depreciation to be approximately $270 million. We expect SG&A to be $65 million to $70 million before share-based compensation expense. We expect cash interest expense to be below $80 million for the year. And we expect cash taxes to remain low and our effective tax rate to be in the 5% range. With that, I will turn the call over to Kevin. All right, thank you, Kerry. So beginning in U.S. land, we continue to experience strong demand for our super triple rigs. As Kerry mentioned, our activity and rates have been tracking well, with Q4 activity up 10% for the third quarter. And with 52 rigs running today, Q1 activity is already trending up 12% sequentially and may rise further as our first quarter rig activity approaches the mid-50s. With current customer interest and bidding activity, it seems this trajectory may continue through the year. Leading-edge rates have progressed to the mid-20s for active rigs and are now moving into the same range for cold rigs uh, due to the rising, uh, industry-wide rising activation costs. While super-spec rigs are not fully sold out, industry supply is much, t- much tighter than most people believe. Regional shortages have developed, and customers are paying full trucking costs for basin-to-basin moves. Between mid-December and mid-February, Precision's customers have fronted the cost for two basin-to-basin super-triple rig moves. Regarding Precision's market discipline and pricing strategy, the key pricing signal we can send our customers is a refusal to accept lower-than-threshold day rates, and this means we walk away. I'll tell you that we are not pursuing market share. Our focus is on the economic return for each rig opportunity we pursue. Turning to our Canadian business, the winter drilling season is off to a strong start. 
Activity is slightly lower than the peak levels we anticipated, but this is largely due to some customer-driven delays. We expect activity will remain firm with a seasonal slowdown driven by weather, not by budget exhaustion. Currently, we're running 66 rigs. Four additional rigs are delayed for customer supply chain and location preparation issues. This work should be completed later in the quarter. Customer indications for second quarter look very strong, with spring breakup break demand running 25 to 30% higher than last year, and early indications are that Q3 activity may again exceed winter activity levels. All of us bodes very well for our Canadian business. As Kerry mentioned, we've demonstrated excellent rate traction in Canada during 2021, and we expect that trend to continue in 2022. I know our customers don't like to hear this, but it is essential that the Canadian services industry recovers to sustainable financial returns. Canadian producer economics are very strong indeed, with Western Canada Select currently trading at its highest level since April 2014, and the Canadian dollar exchange rate in the 79 cent U.S. range, the cash flows for our Canadian customers are all-time highs. And this brings me to discuss a specific play in Canada. And while we have often talked about the Montney, today I want to talk about the Martin Hills Clearwater play. This is a relatively new heavy oil play, which has grown to 21 industry rigs active today from just a handful of rigs in 2019. With horizontal wells in measured depths in the 2,800-meter range, the drilling programs are ideally suited to Precision's high-performance, super-single pad-style rig. Precision currently is operating 11 super-single rigs in the Clearwater region, holding a 55% market share. And this has grown from just three rigs in 2019, before the pandemic. We think the Clearwater, like the Montney, has, a good long-term, has good long-term fundamentals with strong commodity price support, very good geology, and pad-style horizontal drilling where high-efficiency drilling rigs de-risk the F&D costs. The Clearwater will continue to be a strong demand driver for precision super-single rigs. Now, for some, it might be easy to discount or reject the Canadian market. Yet, with precision's blanketed Canadian footprint, our super-single and super-triple rigs combined with our scale efficiency and our high-performance, high-value strategy, Canada remains a very a strong and key geography for Precision's cash flow generating capabilities. Uh, to round out our Canadian business, Kerry mentioned our well service group is experiencing very strong customer demand and delivering substantially improved revenue and operating margins. Customer demand looks to remain strong following several years of low activity and pent-up operator demand for both conventional well servicing and well abandonments. And this demand has been further enhanced by the federally funded well site reclamation program. Labor challenges are constraining the well service industry, yet our team has performed very well, fully staffing the 50 rigs we have running today. And we expect to have further crew capacity activated for what is looking like a strong second half of 2022. The team has worked very hard to justify the value Precision provides our customers and has succeeded in pushing rates in the right direction. And again, uh, the service industry hourly rates have improved from the lows of 2020. The industry still needs substantially higher prices to be financially sustainable. I know our team is well focused on this challenge, and we expect to see continued margin improvement through 2022. Turning to our international business, we continue to operate three rigs in Kuwait and three rigs in Saudi Arabia. We're working with our clients in both markets on upcoming tender specifications, and we're bidding for opportunities with other operators in the region that have nothing new to report today. My expectation remains that as OPEX production limits are fully removed in the coming months, these potential reactivations will materialize. Turning to our digital strategy, for pad-based development-style drilling, the game has changed and the bar has been reset. The days of pushing our crews and equipment faster and harder has run its course. 
Today, our most cost-efficient customers have adopted our alpha digital automation and digital analytics to optimize and ensure maximum rig efficiency, process, and cost control. Customer acceptance and demand for our alpha digital products continues to grow. As we reported in our press release, we are expanding our alpha automation footprint across our fleet and expect to have fleet coverage up to 70% by the end of this year. We also continue to add to our library of alpha apps and continue to demonstrate the value to our customers. I expect this growth trajectory to continue and further drive our competitive advantage. Turning to ESG, I'm very excited about the progress we've made in a very short time with our evergreen suite of environmental solutions. As I mentioned earlier today, our customers are increasingly focused on rig emissions and sustainability. Precision's evergreen technologies encompass several lower CO2 emission combustion power alternatives, hybrid battery power systems, grid power systems, and combustion fuel real-time monitoring systems, offering our customers a range of solutions to monitor and reduce emissions right down to zero. Customer acceptance and uptake has been strong, with 48% of our operating fleet today equipped with at least one evergreen emission reduction solution. With current bookings, we expect to have 10 evergreen combustion fuel monitoring systems installed and running, and six hybrid battery storage systems operating by mid-year. I expect that over the next few years, all of our rigs will utilize some combination of evergreen products to reduce GHG emissions, meeting our customers' targets. Now turning to our annual strategic priorities, I'm very pleased that we completed and delivered on the priorities we outlined at the beginning of uh, 2021, and I thank the employees of Precision for contributing to those priorities. For 2022, I want to be clear that we've adjusted our capital allocation plans by now also prioritizing targeted capital returns to our shareholders. This is a clear indication that we believe we have a strong and stable capital structure with a sustainable runway of deployable free cash flow. We'll continue to reduce debt and delever as guided. Our other priorities, including a strong focus on free cash flow and expanding our technology offerings, will continue in 2022. So finally, I want to thank the people of Precision out in our rigs, in our support centers, and in our offices for the safety and the work execution that underpins everything we do as an oil service provider. And with that, I'll now turn the call back to the operator for comments and questions. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press the star then the one key on your touchdown telephone. To withdraw your question, you may press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Now, first question. Coming from the lineup, Aaron McNeil with TV Securities. Your line is now open. Hey, afternoon all. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, you've mentioned the leading edge day rates in the mid-20s matching a lot of your peers that have reported over the last few weeks. I guess I'm just wondering, you know, how much of that is keeping up with cost inflation and how much of it would be, you know, capturing more economic rent given the improvement in the sector? Hey, Aaron, it's Kerry. So uh, I would say that part of it is a, a labor increase that we implemented in uh, December, which was about $800 a day. I think that was kind of standard for, um, if we're talking about the U.S. market, kind of standard for our peers. Uh, we do have some reactivation costs uh, that we're, we're still absorbing. We reactivated six rigs in Q4, and we plan to reactivate another six rigs in, in Q1. Uh, and that's kind of trending at 150 to 200 thousand dollars a day, so that's pushing pushing cost up a little bit. And we do have a little bit of inflation. I think it's a lot lower than other segments of the oil field service sector, but uh, but we do have a little bit of inflation. So all in all, you know, it might be um, call it 
$1,500 a day of increased costs that we're passing through. Uh, the rest of it would be margin expansion. And as we mentioned on our last call, we, we thought that uh, Q3 would mark the bottom or the trough of the cycle for margins. And we showed uh, increasing margins in, in Q4. We expect to continue to show increasing margins in Q1 and Q2. Uh, so we would we would be capturing more of the more of the margin through higher day rates than uh, than we saw through most of 2021. Understood. Um, and acknowledging your your January press release, you know, with, with the guidance for Q1. But you know, since that time, we've seen companies like Exxon and Chevron announce they're going to start growing again in the Permian. And I guess my question for you is on the margin. Have your expectations for the activity outlook in both Canada and the U.S. changed since you put that press release out? And if so, could you provide any order of magnitude? Aaron, I'd say yeah, they have changed, uh, and I'd say uh, you know we're we're kind of modestly shifting uh, or moderately shifting uh, more and more positive as we can kind of go through each uh, you know almost each month that passes with these stronger commodity prices. But I would say that our guidance on activity into the back half of the year, you know, particularly in my comments both for the U.S. and Canada, kind of reflect that optimism. Um, there's no question this cycle is different than previous cycles. We're not seeing uh, our customers overshoot the commodity price. We're seeing a very well-managed and kind of controlled uh, pad back of rigs, you know, very, beginning with the super majors and making small announcements. But it really feels like with the activity uh, we have in our bidding team and our sales team right now, that uh, you know the, the gains that we were showing in Q1 and into Q2, we expect to carry on for the balance of the year, and we think there could be upside to that. But it just depends how how quickly our customers pivot back to uh, bringing in some small amounts of growth. Understood. Um, seems like we're in the early stages of an equipment upgrade cycle. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but it also seems like among the four four or five top North American drillers that there's discipline on returns, and that remains largely intact. But I guess I'm wondering, is that also true of some of your smaller competitors that we may not be tracking as closely? You know, it's, um, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, generally, when we're competing up with a the customer these days, it's almost always the case where it's just us and one or two others. We don't often see a lot of the smaller competitors. That's especially true in Canada when we're talking about super triples. But in the U.S., uh, you know, it'll be us and one of the other two or three other large drillers competing. So we're really not getting a good sense of what the smaller drillers are doing. Um, so, you know what, we just don't uh, see a lot of competition from those smaller drillers. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, Carrie, on the capital program, you mentioned in your prepared marks that it would be front-end loaded. And I guess it sort of begs the question, that $42 million that's earmarked for expansion and upgrades, is that all committed or mostly committed at this point, or is it a placeholder? And, you know, what I'm ultimately trying to drive at is could we see that number expand throughout the year if, if activity levels are higher than you expect? Okay, so on the, uh, on the growth capital, some of it's committed. Um, you know, I think we've made some commitments to, uh, to kit out 70 of our super triples with Alpha Technologies. So uh, that part uh, is committed. And, and then we have some long lead items that we've committed uh, for some near-term upgrades, but but you're right. If, if activity does grow faster than we expect, and there are more economic upgrade opportunities, that number could go up throughout the year. Okay, understood. And uh, last question for me. I've already asked 
Uh, so I'll turn it over. But it's just been such an unusual winter here in Alberta. So just any comments that you could provide on the shape of, of spring breakup or potential road ban activities would be helpful. Uh, no guidance yet. Uh, certainly it's quite warm uh, this week, and uh, we've already run into some situations where we have some rigs that can't get onto location yet, so it's causing a few delays. Um, my, my sense is if there's, if there's an early weather breakup that pushes a lot more work and pricing tension into, Q, into late Q2, Q3, um, you know, it's a, it might be a, a short-term drag on activity, but probably a net positive for the year. Okay. If that makes sense. Yep, makes sense. I'll, uh, I'll turn it over. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc our next question coming from the line of james west with evercore i-fi your line is open hey kevin Carey, how you doing good james how are you i'm doing well um First question on, on North America, uh, what do you see as the biggest constraint to your growth uh, at this point? Is it you know, needing to upgrade rigs for specifications? Is it labor? Is it supply chain? I mean, it seems to me like we're going to see you know, a nice pickup in the rig count, and I'm curious on what you see as the, the impediments to that. Well, I would tell you that I think that the, uh, it's a bit of a good news, good news story. I think we're going to run out of super spec rigs in our fleet during this yep. calendar year. And, uh, you know, we have another group of uh, rigs, about 15 rigs that are really strong upgrade candidates. That would probably take day rates that have a three on the left-hand side. Okay. And we need to see some good long-term contracts, you know, probably two to three-year contracts. But uh, uh, high-quality problem for Precision to be running out of super-spec rigs in calendar year 22. Yeah, sure. and I always sure. add to that sure. when, when we talk about operating leverage within Precision, what we're talking about is the, the spare capacity that we have to address the super spec market in the calendar year where limited upgrades are required. You know, we're, we're still, the upgrades we're doing are adding alpha automation, adding, um, you know, high torque drill pipe or, or pumping capacity, and you're still kind of in the low single digits, millions of dollars. Uh, so we don't, we don't think that we're going to have to spend a whole lot of capital to address the market. Yeah, Terry, we have 55 rigs running, or 52 rigs running today, and we have uh, 67 super spec rigs available in, in, in the, the U.S. US. That's right. Okay, okay, that's very helpful. Thanks, guys. And then maybe just uh, one more for me on uh, the Middle East. Uh, we're clearly going to have a, a call on uh, additional production at some point, and, and the big, large producers you work for are aware of that, and that's why, of course, they're, they're tendering now. Could you maybe comment on, on the 
the magnitude of you know, if you were to be successful in some of these tenders or, or when you are successful, you know, how many more rigs you might commit to the region and, and if those would be, you know, you would move rigs or would those be, you know, upgrades and how would that impact your capital program? Um, there's a fair amount of bidding activity right now going on. Uh, so we've got the three idle rigs in Kuwait that we expect to get reactivated during the year. We've got one idle rig on the ground in Saudi that uh, could be activated this year. Three more idle rigs in Kurdistan and Georgia that are wrecked. Uh, actually, one of those rigs is looking like it might end up in Abu Dhabi or in Dubai, right? So uh, two, in, two in Georgia, <laughs> two in uh, Kurdistan, one in uh, Dubai that could be activated. Uh, and we've had some tenders recently where we're looking at uh, possibly utilizing some of our super singles and some other tenders that might be in the 1500 horsepower class. However, if we're utilized in North America, we would probably back away from those tenders. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah, and, and, Thanks, and, and, uh, I, I just had another comment there, kind of along that operating leverage theme. You know, the, the most uh, most likely rig activations in the near term would be the three Kuwait rigs, which are all, uh, you know, they're all super spec, AC, uh, deep capacity rigs that are six years old and won't require a whole lot of capital to go into a new contract, you know, kind of in the $4 million range per rig. Okay. Okay. Got it. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks. Our next question coming from the line of Taylor Jerusalem with Tudor Picker and Holt. Your line is open. Hey, Kevin and Carrie. Good afternoon. Um, first question on Canada. Uh, over the past few, uh, really past two weeks down here in the U.S., I mean, there's been so much talk about uh, significant pricing improvements. Uh, again, for the U.S. market, you echoed some of those comments and prepared remarks today. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious if you could just compare and contrast what's going on from a pricing perspective in the U.S. with what you're seeing in Canada. Obviously, a number of different rig uh, classes up, up there in Canada. And uh, just, just curious where we sit from a pricing improvement standpoint for, for each of those rig, cas- rig classes up in Canada. Yeah, uh, Taylor, so I think the pricing movement in Canada is probably a quarter or two ahead of the U.S., uh, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, the market's a bit tighter on the super spec side. It's fully utilized. Uh, it's also more consolidated with primarily just uh, two drillers that have uh, the balance of the fleet for super spec rigs, super triples, that is, in Canada. And then our super singles rig in Canada is kind of in a class of its own. There really isn't a strong competitor for precision super single rig, and it's a highly efficient rig. So, so we've had um, opportunities with rising demand and tight utilization to move those prices a bit sooner. Uh, and there's a seasonality component that comes into Canada. There's kind of a spring, uh, spring for summer Q3 type pricing circle. There's sometimes a second pricing uh, round that happens in the fall for the coming winter season. So there's kind of some natural windows when we engage with customers. And there's a third factor in Canada that kind of has driven tension, and that's uh, crewing. It's been uh, particularly hard to recruit personnel in Canada, and that's created a lot of tension right across the oil services space. So I think all of those things have kind of uh, worked to help move rates back into uh, kind of a sustainable range, which we're not quite at yet in Canada, but we're hoping to get there in 2022. Um, I think some of those factors are now coming into play in the U.S. You know, the super spec rig market's getting essentially, uh, it's not sold out, but, but between regional dislocations and, uh, and, you know, various differences in rig spec, it's almost sold out. And I think you'll see it, effectively sold out the next uh, next few weeks or a couple of months. So I do think the U.S., you know, gets on that same track that we see in Canada 
between Q1 and Q2. And you're hearing the, the front end piece of that today from us. Yeah, good to hear. And against that backdrop, you, you just mentioned SuperSpec market is going to be a pretty fully utilized here pretty soon, not just for your fleet, but for the broader uh, market. Uh, I, I'm curious, I mean, how, how are customer conversations going with respect to term contract durations? It doesn't feel like uh, many of the, the larger land drillers, including yourselves, have, have significant uh, term contract tr- coverage, at least not beyond 2022. And I just wonder if the, if the customer urgency is there to to go ahead and lock up some of these rigs, even if, it, even if it's at much higher pricing uh, over the course of 2023? Well, you know, I think uh, we've seen opportunities to contract rigs anywhere from pad to pad all the way up to two years. Um, I'd say that this, uh, this tightening has been uh, kind of sneaking up on everybody a little bit in that I think the drillers know it well, but I don't think any of the customers really fully understand how tight the market really is. Uh, and, uh, Taylor, Nobody has a 2023 budget approved yet, like none of our customers do. So you know, there's not a huge preponderance of people looking at long-term. I would say that there's just a handful of customers looking to try to lock in lower rates maybe for a longer term, not necessarily locking in higher rates. So I think that uh, certainly in our case, we've been reluctant to, uh, to jump at those opportunities, looking more at shorter-term, higher-rate opportunities and the ability to reprice as the market tightens. Got it. And then one last quick question for me. Uh, you're basically talking about going from 50 alpha systems to uh, roughly 70 uh, by, by year end. And I'm just curious how the demand pool works for, for those sorts of systems. I imagine uh, some of those are, are going to uh, be outfitted on, on rigs that are, are already in the field today. And, and so, I mean, do we go through a, a trial phase where, where you put the system on a rig, the, the operator tries it out, and, and then starts paying for it? Or uh, do you expect to get uh, compensated for that almost immediately? Uh, we expect to be compensated for it almost immediately. Uh, you know, we've got a handful of contracts that are performance-based where if we achieve certain performance levels, uh, you know, we'll earn more. So in that case, uh, you could say that we have to earn the compensation, but, but those are working quite well. The majority of the applications are the a la carte pricing where we put the system on, we run it, and we deliver value, and the customers see the value, we move on. Understood. Thanks for the answers, Kevin. Great. Uh, I just, uh, Taylor, on that, on that deployment, you asked about customer pull. Um, you know, we're working closely with our partners. We've uh, always been uh, kind of standardized on how we do this. And part of what we've done is lock in uh, low capital costs uh, for that acquisition for an extended period by committing to uh, those installations over the course of the year. So it's both balancing the risk on the inflation side, so we keep the cost low, but also getting the systems across our fleet as fast as possible. Yeah, it makes sense. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Our next question coming from the line of Said with ATB Capital. Your line is now open. Thanks for taking my question. Kerry, uh, um, uh, the potential reactivation costs for the Kuwait rigs, are they included in the CapEx number or not yet? Yeah, we haven't we haven't specified. I think we've got a basket of upgrades that we see on on the board, and uh, we're, we're we're trying to put a, a percentage of um, likelihood of, of securing those upgrades. So uh, you can say they're somewhat included in that basket. Or they okay. Are All right, uh, Kevin. Uh, one of your uh, competitors today mentioned that there is a further segmentation of the super spec rig market in the U.S and that customers are demanding, um, you know, rigs that have rig floors with very high clearance, 21 to 23 foot, and, and drawworks uh, on the rig floors. 
Um, do, are you seeing the same kind of differentiation as well, um, you know, as, as you talk to your customers? Um, so, Bukhar, uh, first of all, I guess the good thing and the bad thing is there is no API definition of SuperSpec. And uh, I would say that uh, each drilling contractor has an interpretation of what they view as the optimum rig design. And, uh, you know, whether that includes skidding or walking can be a debate. Whether it includes three mud pumps or, or two mud pumps can be a debate. Uh, in our case, uh, we actually have uh, a wide fleet of uh, super spec rigs that have elevated rig floors with the drawworks up on the rig floor. In fact, uh, a split uh, LER drive assembly so that we keep all the rig controls up on the rig floor. So that particular need we can meet with our uh, super triple rigs. Okay. But is there a differentiation in day rates for those rigs versus those that um, do not have that capability? Uh, and, and still you know, super spec? What, what it comes down to is if you have a client who um, has a pad where he wants to maybe walk the rig over existing wellheads, uh, he might want that extra clearance. Uh, if you've got a pad which is a new pad and you're drilling it in a line, you may not need that clearance. So it just depends. It's, uh, I'd say it's more customer-specific than, uh, than industry-specific. Okay, great. And then... We have both. We have some of those rigs walking over wellheads that are existing other ones where we uh, have clear pads we're drilling new wells on. Okay, great. And then in the international market, you have um, you know, six rigs currently working with two contract expirations uh, coming up. Um, do you see any downtime before they start up again, or do you think they're, um, uh, you would be able to renegotiate the contracts before, before uh, the, the current contracts expire? Uh, we, don't expect, we expect no downtime. Okay. And, and then for the Kuwait rigs, uh, do you see them, uh, the, 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 you know, in Kuwait typically tenders get delayed. Do you think that this year they may, you know, happen relatively quickly? Well, I've been talking about that tender, I think, almost all of 2021 and now into 2022. <laughs> so, so I've already delayed one year uh, from my early conversations. And, uh, you know, the other thing I'd say is it seems like every time I make a projection, about four weeks later, a new variant pops up and slows down decision-making. So I'm really reluctant to try to predict uh, what's going to happen in Kuwait. But, but uh, Bakar, I would say that if, uh, uh, if Kuwait has uh, their production curtailments removed, I think those, uh, those tenders go ahead very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Or I should say when they have their production curtailments removed, I think those tenders move quickly. Right, right, right. Makes sense. Uh, thank you very much. Those uh, were all my questions. Thank, thank you. Sir. Now, next question coming from the line of Ian McPherson with Piper's Handling. Yolanda Sullivan. Thanks. Good afternoon, Kevin and Kerry. Ian. I uh, appreciate the, the description of uh, what's happening in the in uh, the Martin Hill. Uh, Clearwell play, and uh, I think it was asked a little bit, but I wanted to ask again if you could talk about your uh, your breakout of super singles versus super triples in Canada, and speak maybe a little bit more to the the the, the differential in day rates or, or margins between the two, if that's a material consideration for us as we as we think about that that play uh, folding into your mix. Sure, I'll give a bit of coverage and carry, just fill in the gaps where I missed something here. 
The, uh, the Precision Super Single Rig was developed back in 1992 specifically for heavy oil drilling, I mean exactly for this type of play. They were designed to be uh, small, fast-moving, light, pad-capable rigs that have a small footprint, can run you know, kind of throughout spring breakup if necessary, and have a really low efficient operating cost. So it's a really cool design that's really uh, uh, kind of stuck with us last 30 years now and really kept that competitive edge out there. Uh, so the rig fits that market very well. Um, carry operating cost of that rig would typically be about four or five thousand dollars less than a super triple. Correct. In that range. Yep. And uh, you know we're getting day rates for that rig now in the uh, mid to upper teens, uh, and uh, and pushing those levels even. Okay. Great. So and, and that rig actually does overlap with what in Canada is called the tele double. So people will try to use the tele double to compete with us, which typically has a slightly higher operating cost and, again, probably needs a higher day rate to get the same margins. Okay. In Canada, we have 27 super triples. They're all fully utilized right now, and uh, and you'll be given guidance on those rates. Those rates are in the kind of low to mid-20s range right now for the base rig. Technology charges are above that, and a lot of the things you put on the rig are also above that. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Um, Sort of a, a simple high-level question for for the U.S. market. If you were able to uh, pro forma your fleet for all of the upgrades that you're planning for this year and where that takes your, your fleet-wide spec at the end of this year, and the market, market pricing stopped moving today and you repriced everything at leading edge and absorbed all your reactivation costs. Are you, are you asking us you, to do a model for you? Yes. Would, would, wouldn't your pro forma cash margin easily be above 10000 on that hypothetical basis? I think you, if, if you're looking at, um, you know, leading edge being in the, in the mid-20s and we're getting better fixed cost absorption and we don't have any reactivation cost, uh, you know, daily operating costs probably go, go down a bit from, from where we're reporting right now. So I think you could you could see your see the fleet generating on average uh, above ten thousand dollars a day margin. Yeah, I think so. I, I just the one thing I want to be careful with is is not extrapolating your your sort of tip of the spear data point on pricing and and, and, and inappropriately extrapolating it across the entire fleet. But it seems to me that your whole fleet or the the vast majority will be at that leading edge capability uh, and probably with higher saturation of of alpha and other a la carte add-ons that it, it would not be unfair to uh, to project that. So I, I just wanted that sanity check. Yeah, I, okay. I think that uh, if, you, if you go back to uh, 2018 and you looked at where our, our super spec rigs were pricing and, you know, getting one and two, in some cases, three-year contracts without alpha, uh, we were well above $10,000 a day in margin on, on that segment of our fleet. Yep. Thanks. And then the other one for me, um, have, I don't know if we've talked about this already on the call. Have, have you d discussed the uh, the framework through which you're examining dividends versus buybacks with the with the capital return um, plan? So it's it's a four year plan. Uh, for the first couple of years, this is almost exclusively going to be uh, share buybacks. And as we get closer to the to the target leverage level and there's a little bit more visibility in the business, uh, a dividend becomes more likely. But for the first couple of years of this uh, 
capital framework plan, assume it's going to be shared buybacks. Got it. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. As a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star 1. Our next question coming from the line of Cole Pereira with Stiefel. Your line is open. Afternoon, everyone. Uh, so some pretty good colors so far on Canada versus the U.S. In a couple of quarters, you highlighted that the outlook for Canada was especially bright uh, relative to the U.S. in the near term. Just wondering if you really currently see either Canada or the U.S. as being relatively stronger uh, right now, obviously factoring in some of the seasonality in Canada. I think, uh, Cole, uh, what kind of drives me to believe that is I think we're a little farther down the, um, the pricing trajectory with our Canadian customers, so that's helping make Canada look better. Um, I think part of that is the, uh, the tighter market consolidation in those, in those two rig areas, in the super triple area and in our heavy oil super singles area. So you've got a much more rational market with uh, generally public players that are more rational in their they're thinking so it's just a uh, it behaves more uh it behaves more industrial or more uh more more structured and more disciplined than uh than less mature markets that's the way it feels right now does that make sense yeah that's a good color thanks and so you kind of uh touched briefly on q1 in canada talking about some customer logistics uh, issues maybe putting a bit of a lid on activity. I'm just curious. I mean, have you seen labor uh, really be much of a restriction into getting rigs activated in the quarter? On the drilling side, it's been a pretty heavy lift for our team, and I know some of them are listening today. They've worked pretty hard, but they've met the objective in drilling. It's been much, much tougher in well servicing. And there's a couple of good reasons for that. The, uh, the drilling jobs have a slightly higher hourly rate but the work is more consistent and repeatable, and they typically get um, a lot more overtime and more consistent overtime. So the total pay is much higher. It attracts, it attracts people that stick a little more to drilling. And while servicing, it could be good or it could be bad. It's call-out work. It's sort of day-to-day -day work, and it's been much tougher to recruit, a lot like a lot of the other uh, oil field call-out services. So in drilling, no. Uh, hard work for our team, but they've, uh, they've accomplished the task in drilling. Well, servicing really hard work. The guys have done a great job. We've got 50 rigs staffed up right now. Expect to have more staffed up for Q uh, for Q3 after breakup. But uh, but I would say that in well servicing, it's limited activity. Okay, perfect. That's great. Thanks. And so just to clarify on the on the international uh, rig awards. I mean, reasonable to think that maybe an announcement might occur by mid year. Or is there still just not enough clarity on timelines? No clarity on timeline, but this has been, uh, I mean, the entire process has been imminent uh, for several quarters now. And I, I recognize that uh, imminent in the Middle East means slightly different terms than imminent in North America. But uh, but there's a lot of work that's gone into these tenders uh, behind the scenes at, at our customer. Uh, we know they're ready, and we know that they're, I think, waiting for the right uh, the right oil production signals to start making the next step. Okay, perfect. Uh, that's all for me. Thanks. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thanks, Cole. Our next question coming from the line of Keith Mackey with RBC Capital. The line is open. Hi, good afternoon, and thanks for taking my questions. I just um, wanted to start off. Kevin, I think I heard you say uh, Q2 looks like it's going to be 
you know, 20 or breakout or breakup anyways is going to be 25 to 30 percent higher than last year. And then I thought the, you know, you said Q3 is going to be strong as well, potentially stronger than than the winter level. Did I hear that right, or or what was the what was the comment there, Kevin? Uh, well, you heard it right. <laughs> I guess all that I'll say is that the previous projections I've given that after Q3 and Q4, it seems like a few weeks after I gave the projection, another COVID variant popped up and slowed down decision making. Uh, so, you know, barring any kind of macro dislocation, um, I think those uh, those projections are what I said. I think Q2 looks like it's 25% or maybe a little more better than last year. And uh, once again, we could see Q3 matching or exceeding Q1 activity levels, again, barring any kind of macro dislocation. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that it certainly is difficult to forecast uh, what's happening in the macro these days. But certainly that would be an incredibly strong level for, for Q3. Can you maybe just talk about what gives you the, the, the confidence, so, you know, based on what you know today to say that, and maybe just talk a little bit about the rig types that will – that will sort of make up the gap. Will the mix be similar to Q1, do you think, or, or will it be, uh, you know, different based on the seasonal drilling at that time? Yeah, so I'll just let me qualify kind of good, great, and better. So it does look pretty good compared to 20, 2020 and 2021. If you kind of go back to 20, uh, 2016 or 2014, we're still well below those levels. So uh, while it looks like a pretty strong year relative to what we've just been through, um, you know, it wasn't very long ago. We had some much, much better times. So keep that in mind. Um, but the, the mix would look like the winter mix right now. We'd have our super triples pretty much fully utilized. Uh, you know, we have a potential to maybe bring one more super triple up out of the U.S. Uh, we're working with customers to see if that happens. So we could add one more super triple in Canada. But uh, but that's fully – that'll be fully maxed out. And then with the uh, super singles, uh Got a pretty good mix right now with uh, kind of this resurgence in heavy oil kind of driven by Clearwater. Um, but I think there's a little more room to run there. We certainly have more super singles. And, uh, you know, to reactivate another you know, 5, 10, or 15 super singles is well within our, our current uh, opportunity cycle set. And just to give a follow-up, you mentioned potentially bringing up a big for U.S. And I think there was another couple that moved around basins in the U.S., can you maybe just talk about some of those regional tightnesses in, in, in rig supply and where you're seeing things be the most the most tight in, you know, Canada, I imagine, it's the, the super triple category. And maybe if you could then just talk about the U.S. as well and, and kind of where you're seeing that tightness and where you think rigs could, could move as a result. Um, that's a really great question. I'm, I'm actually glad you raised it because um, the, probably the biggest surprise I've had in 2022 was a customer asking if we, they could move one of our rigs from Oklahoma to the Permian Basin. I thought there was still some slot capacity in the Permian Basin, but uh, for this particular customer that we're working for, uh, they're paying to move one of our rigs from Oklahoma to the Permian. Uh, last year, late in December, we moved a rig from the Permian to uh, Eagleford. Um, we're looking at some opportunities right now maybe to redeploy some rigs into uh, the Haynesville. So it seems like it seems like that regional tightness is kind of coming on everywhere. The only place we have a couple of excess rigs right now is DJ Basin. Got it. Okay, very good. And just on the the tech adoption, I know in you know historically, I think you talked that uh, U.S. customers were a little quicker to adopt than Canada. Has has that changed? Has Canada caught up? Or you know, and 
and maybe as a follow-on to that, has the evergreen line um, gained traction faster in Canada or the U.S., or has it been fairly, fairly similar as well? Uh, so first, the evergreen lines have been actually getting good traction in, in both markets with almost no differentiation. And uh, I'd say that that, that, that ESG emissions uh, responsibility focus is universal across particularly our public customers, but actually most of our private customers too. So uh, that's a trend we're seeing right across the customer mix and geographic mix. On the uh, technology piece, um, so the simple answer is this. Um, on longer duration wells, technology has more room to, to show clear improvements. So on shorter duration wells, whether they're shallower or faster, it, uh, the gains tend to be a little bit narrower for the customer and maybe a little tougher sell. So Canadian wells tend to be a little shallower, and there are some areas that are really short duration wells. Uh, tougher sell on the short duration wells, much easier sell long duration wells. Got it. All right. Thanks so much. And by the way, but I, when I'm talking about long and short, long would be eight days and short would be four days. Great. Uh, thank you. Our next question coming from the our next question coming from the line of John Daniel of Daniel Energy Partners. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Hey, John. Kevin, just one quick one for, for me. You know, there's obviously lots of people in our space talk about us being at, potentially at the start of a, a multi-year cycle. I think as we look at just the commodity backdrop, and I, I'm curious, do, if, if customers, are, if they're looking at it the same way, are they actually talking to you about multi-year arrangements if, if that belief is true? Just kind of see if you can provide some color on how they're viewing life beyond this year. Uh, John, short answer is not really, uh, other than a few customers looking at trying to uh, you know, lock in low rates for longer. I would say that there isn't, um, there isn't a lot of long-term planning that's transmitted down to the land drillers yet uh, around uh, long-term, long-term contracts, take or pay. Uh, okay. you know, we have, we have uh, a handful of customers, I'd say less than a half dozen, where they are seriously making plans beyond one year, but that, I wouldn't call that a trend. Fair enough, but do, do, and do you suspect that's just because of just how the recent volatility? Because it would seem to me, if and it kind of a, a bit of a follow-on to Ian's questions. You know, when you look at where the business is today, the pricing trends, and all of that. You know, if all else being equal, it seems your rates are going higher next year if this commodity price environment stays where it is. So like, why why wouldn't you want to be proactive in mitigating that risk if you're the customer? Just kind of. A, a thought I'm not, any color would be, would be great. Well, well, you know, John, part of it might be that the drilling rig on these high-efficiency wells is still just a very small fraction of the cost of the total well. So if okay. they're putting their focus on an area where they have a lot of financial exposure, it would be sand, propant, it would be pressure pumping. It probably wouldn't be the rig. Okay, fair enough. I appreciate your time as always, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks. Great. Thank you. I am showing no further questions at this time. I would now like to send the call back over to Mr. Kerry Ford for any closing remarks. Okay, thank you for joining us this afternoon. We look forward to connecting with you on our Q1 conference call in April. Have a good day. Ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't call conference for today. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.